Let's read together Judges chapter 11, verses 29 through 40. In the second half of Judges 11, we have Jephthah's victory over the Ammonites, and we also have the record of his foolish vow. Judges chapter 11, beginning at verse 29. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead. And from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So Jephthah advanced toward the people of Ammon to fight against them, and the Lord delivered them into his hands, and he defeated them from Aroer as far as Mineth, 20 cities, and to Abel Karamim with a very great slaughter. Thus the people of Ammon were subdued before the children of Israel. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. Besides her, he had neither son nor daughter. And it came to pass when he saw her that he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have brought me very low. You are among those who trouble me, for I have given my word to the Lord, and I cannot go back on it. So she said to him, My father, if you have given your word to the Lord, do to me according to what has gone out of your mouth, because the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the people of Ammon. Then she said to her father, Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months, that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, Go. And he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And so it was at the end of two months that she returned to her father, and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed. She knew no man. And it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went four days each year to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. Let's begin our study of this second half of Judges 11 with some background notes. Did Jephthah actually sacrifice his daughter? That's the obvious question we all ask when we read this second half of Judges 11, right? Well, before we discuss that question, let's have a little review of the first half of Judges chapter 11. Jephthah was the outcast son of Gilead. His brothers disowned him because he was the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers to the land of Tob and became a mighty man of valor with a small army of men following him. Well, it wasn't long before the leaders of Gilead recognized Jephthah's military ability, and they asked him to lead Israel against the Ammonites. Jephthah agreed, and with great diplomatic skill, he told the Ammonites that they were wrong in demanding Israel's land. The king of Ammon would not listen to reason, and so Jephthah fought the Ammonites, and the Lord gave Israel the victory. Now that's the good news. But the bad news is that Jephthah made a foolish vow to the Lord before he went out to battle. Verses 30 and 31 once again. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Well, guess who came out of his house to meet him when he returned from the victory? 
his only daughter. Look back at verse 34. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him with timbrels and dancing, and she was his only child. So the question is whether or not Jephthah actually sacrificed his daughter. Well, here's my answer. I honestly don't know. Now let me give you the three strongest points in favor of each position. First of all, let's look at the three strongest points in favor of the position that he did sacrifice his daughter. Number one, it's the most normal interpretation of the text. Verse 31, you see, uses the term burnt offering, the same Hebrew word that is used for blood sacrifices in the Old Testament. Number two, when Jephthah made the vow, if he was only thinking of an animal that would come out of his house to be sacrificed, it doesn't make it much of a vow, does it? So let's say a dog walks out of the doors of his house. For victory over the Ammonites, Jephthah is going to sacrifice a dog. And large animals like oxen weren't kept in the houses. So it's not much of a vow if Jephthah was only thinking of some small domesticated animal. So Jephthah must have been thinking of a human sacrifice. Number three, the surrounding pagan nations did practice human sacrifice. And Jephthah was living on the fringes of Israel in the land of Tob. Thus he may have become desensitized to the pagan practices around him. Furthermore, because he was living as an outcast, he may have been ignorant of the Mosaic law against human sacrifice. Now, what about the strongest points in favor that he did not sacrifice his daughter? Number one, verse 31 may be translated as follows. Then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace from the people of Ammon shall surely be the Lord's or I will offer it up as a burnt offering. In other words, if a person comes out, they will be dedicated to the Lord, but if an animal comes out, it will be sacrificed. Number two, verses 37 through 39 seem to indicate that Jephthah's daughter expected to be dedicated to the Lord, to a life of celibacy, not sacrificed. Let's read verses 37 through 39 once again. Then she said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Let me alone for two months that I may go and wander on the mountains and bewail my virginity, my friends and I. So he said, go, and he sent her away for two months. And she went with her friends and bewailed her virginity on the mountains. And so it was at the end of two months that she returned to her father, and he carried out his vow with her, which he had vowed she knew no man. So it seems like you could build a case for she's going to be dedicated to a life of celibacy and maybe serve the Lord at the tabernacle or something like that, rather than actually her life taken in sacrifice. Number three, verse 29 says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah when he went out to fight the Ammonites. And it is under these conditions of being empowered by the Lord that he makes this vow before the Lord. It doesn't seem logical that under the power of the Spirit of the Lord, you know, he would make this kind of vow totally against the Mosaic Law, which clearly forbade human sacrifice. Well, there you have it. 
the best arguments for both positions. Now you be the judge. And sorry for the pun. All right. Let's move now to our doctrinal or teaching points. Doctrinal point number one. Sometimes God superimposes his strength on great natural strengths. Sometimes God superimposes his strength on great natural strengths. We see that in the life of Jephthah. You know, sometimes God takes weak persons or timid persons and makes them strong, like Gideon or like Timothy in the New Testament. But sometimes God takes a strong person, that is a person with outstanding natural strengths and abilities, and superimposes his strength on that person's natural strength. Such a person was the Apostle Paul, for example. Even before Paul became a Christian, he was a strong person. He had a great mind and great natural leadership abilities. He was a leader in Judaism. But when Paul became a Christian, God superimposed his strength on Paul's natural strengths. Well, the same is true of the judge Jephthah. Jephthah had a lot of natural talent and ability. We've seen how Jephthah was able to organize a small army out of a bunch of ragtag, unemployed ne'er-do-wells, and that takes some ability. When the elders of Gilead came to Jephthah to get him to lead Israel against the Ammonites, it was because of Jephthah's natural strengths and abilities. It wasn't because they saw the hand of the Lord on Jephthah. But now you see in verse 29, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Now the strength of the Lord is superimposed on Jephthah's strengths. Do you see the lesson? You know, maybe you're a weak and timid person here this morning. Listen, God can give you strength. But maybe you're a strong person like Jephthah. You have natural leadership ability. You have natural administrative ability. You have raw courage, if you will. Well, God can superimpose his strength on your strengths and use you mightily for his kingdom. Just dedicate yourself to the Lord and to his service. Great things will be accomplished for the glory of God. The Lord does not take away your natural abilities and strengths and substitute his strength. No, he superimposes his strength on your strengths. Sometimes God superimposes his strength on great natural strengths. Doctrinal or teaching point number two. Sometimes God gives victory in spite of grave human mistakes. Sometimes God gives victory in spite of grave human mistakes. We certainly see this lesson taught in the life of Jephthah, don't we? Jephthah made a rash and foolish vow. This was a mistake, a grave human mistake. Now, whether or not Jephthah actually sacrificed his daughter, we can't be sure. In any case, it was a mistake, a rash and foolish vow. Yet God gave Jephthah the victory over the Ammonites. That in no way condones Jephthah's foolish vow. Sometimes God gives victory in spite of grave human mistakes. Look at the case of Samson as another example. You know, maybe you've made some really stupid mistakes recently. Grave human mistakes. God may still give you victory in spite of your mistake. It doesn't condone your mistake. But God, in his grace, may still give you victory. 
victory in a number of different areas. Illustration. I know of a Christian man who made a grave financial mistake. He gave a huge amount of money to his alma mater, which is a godless secular university. This money could have been given for the work of the Lord. Instead, it was given to the work of the enemy. And yet, this Christian man is still being used of God in his home and church and community. Sometimes God gives victory in spite of grave human mistakes. What about practical application from the second half of Judges 11? Let's not make rash and foolish vows. Let's not make rash and foolish vows. In the heat of emotion, Jephthah made a rash and foolish vow. We could make the same mistake. Vows before God are serious. Let's not make rash and foolish vows. Illustration. I had a female student some time ago tell me that she believed God wanted her to be single and that she would be willing to take a vow of celibacy. I encouraged her not to do that. That would have been a rash and foolish vow at that point in her life. You know, she is now happily married and she and her husband are faithfully serving the Lord. Other examples could be given in the area of money or life's work. Watch out for the heat of emotion. Let's be committed and dedicated, but let's not make rash and foolish vows.